Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, we've been studying together to how to be the church, right? Be the church. And we're looking at um, what the church is supposed to be doing as, right, the body of Jesus Christ. But we're applying that to our individual church, Grace Covenant Church, and how, how we can particularly apply what God would have for us. Last week we looked at unity. Unity is a high value for us at Grace, but it's also a high value for Jesus. It's a high value here because it's a high value for Jesus. He told us to be unified. That's where we'd find power. He prayed for us thousands of years ago that we would be unified as he and the Father are one, that we should be one. When Paul, the, the uh, apostle that wrote most of the epistles, when he wrote his letters to the churches, almost always included talking about being unified, being one with one another. And the way we've expressed that here at Grace is we are premeditated and very specific about how we use vocabulary, particularly these three words, opinion, belief, and conviction. And when we ask people about their values and what we might be having a disagreement about, we'll say, wait, is that an opinion, a belief, or a conviction? Because once we realize what category it's in, maybe then we can have a more intelligent conversation. If it's an issue of orthodoxy, that comes over here in the category of conviction, then we're gonna, if we disagree, we'll probably hopefully try to part ways in a way that's agreeable and kind. But in areas that are weak beliefs and opinions, we're just gonna agree to disagree and have fun, you know, with the variety, right? And um, as we grow in maturity, hopefully we're gonna care more about less and less about more. And as we grow older in our understanding of God's grace and, and, and the love of the varieties of things in, in, that are before us, we're going to care more about less, and we're going to care a lot less about more. All right? So that's kind of what we talked about last week and how we're looking at unity when we be the church today. I hope today just kind of my expectations for today is that you have your mind blown because we're going to look at today what, what God, how God sees you. When God looks at the church. When he looks at individuals in the church, he might see you differently than you might see yourself. And I hope it radically changes the way you perceive, well, everything. <laughs> hope it rocks your world. Um, 34 years ago, um, I, I, I grew up going to church, grew up uh, going to great church, and I was exposed to a lot of Bible. But it wasn't until 34 years ago when the light finally came on in my soul, and I understood that Jesus Christ died for me, and I mean that singularity, singularly, because I, I understood that he died for all of mankind, but once I grasped the concept that I was personally responsible for his crucifixion, that he paid for my sins, um, the idea of absolute forgiveness awakened me. Let's say that. I, was, I had this born-again experience, as they say in the Bible, or in some Bibles, born-from-above experience. And I, I was compulsive about knowing more about my faith. I, couldn't, I could not get enough. And my roommate um, uh, knew someone, I, I kind of plateaued early on, so I, uh, my roommate told me about a man that he knew. He was kind of a little bit older than we were in college. He was about 33 years old, and he would come and visit me, and, and he would help me learn more about this newfound faith. And so the, in our first meeting when he walks in, he's walking in in street clothes, and I'm, you know, suspicious, and I start asking about his background and why he should, what makes him so special that he'd be teaching me about the Bible. And as he was going through his resume, it, it, I think it hit him that the, whatever, the, 
whatever he told me, it wasn't going to be enough because he wasn't wearing a collar. And he said, Matt, Matt, listen, you need to, you need to know something that the Bible says, you know, precious little one. Um, the Bible says in the New Testament that every believer is a minister, that, that every follower of Jesus Christ is qualified to be a priest. And I said, no, it doesn't. And he said, no, it does. <laughs> it really does. That person 34 years ago went to Grace Covenant Church. That was my first encounter with a member of this congregation. Nine years after that, I'm actually working at this church. I'm a youth pastor here, and I was working, I think I was in my first six weeks. And one of the students, I was a student pastor, one of the student's parents took me to lunch, Conan's, I remember specifically, <laughs> took me to Conan's. So I already liked him, okay? So, uh, and he said, hey, Matt, um, you know, you ought to consider taking the students on a, on a mission trip to Mexico. I said, sure. I mean, sure. Why not? Let's do that. And he stopped and he said, no, no, no. Now, listen, you need to make sure that the students are the ones doing the ministry when you get to Mexico. I, I said, what? He said, you have to make certain that they're the ones doing the work. They're the ones caring for people. They're the ones telling the stories. They're the ones sharing the gospel because every believer is a minister. And I said, Okay, okay. And so he opens his Bible and turns to this passage and reads it to me in the restaurant. He says this. This is the way God sees you. He says, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you, had, uh, once you had been identified as, I'm sorry, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. <laughs> wow. You are a royal priest. It, it's like, you know, every, they have titles, right? We, we, you and I, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the king's minister of revelation, that makes for a really nice badge, don't you think? A king's royal priest, not just any priest, but you are a royal priest. Whose job is it to bring the glory of God, the revelation of the glory of God into people's lives? Every believer. Every believer. This is a key verse in understanding of what it means to be the church. And at this church, we say this on a regular basis. Every believer is a minister. Every believer is a priest. Every single one of us that follows Jesus Christ is wearing some kind of a collar around our soul. Now, you need, we need to stop and grasp the profundity of this. I want you to understand that every civilization, oh, let's just say almost, almost every civilization, almost every culture in human existence understands there's a desperate need for a priest, and the priest has to be special. You can, wherever you look in history, you'll, or, or even in contemporary circumstances, you'll see that the people intuitively understand that the, con, the concept of God is he is powerful and he is other. And, and, and in contrast to that, you know, man is small and he is weak. And there's this chasm that has to be bridged somehow. 
Every culture understands this. Now, the Jews, you know, our Older Testament helps us better understand the, the greatness of God, the absolute holiness of God, and uh, the infinite aspects and, and attributes of God, and our sinfulness. I mean, it, it just separates the gulf even more, doesn't it, right? We're small and sinful and, and corrupt. But, and that, that gap needs to be bridged, but I want us to go back to just thinking about all cultures, almost all cultures, at all times. Atheism is kind of the newest religion. But you, look at, you can look at, at maybe movies you've seen, history books you've read. Some of you have traveled the world, and you've seen these places of worship, and, and, and they're spellbinding. Why? Why so much work put into these various expressions of temples? Because we intuitively know that there's this giant gulf between God and, his, and, and how we perceive him, right? And our own frail, mortal, temporal, human existence. And we have to appease that gap somehow. So you can go to the ruins in South America or, or you can go to the temples in Europe or you can go back to the Middle East and see those expressions. But listen, there is always some kind of expression of a separate lofty priesthood that's over there. They wear different kinds of clothes. They live in a different part of town, and they, they're, they're set apart, right? And then what do, we, what do they do? They, they're part of the, the appeasing process, and so they're giving ex- costly sacrifices, right? sometimes quite literally children. They are, they are sacrificing children, because they know that they have, to, they have to bridge this difference between God's distance from us. He's, he's so transcendent. And they, where do they do this? They do this at, at places of holy worship, some kind of temple, some special building built by the best carpenters, the best craftsmen, using the most expensive materials. In human history, look it up. Wherever you go, whenever you go there, there's this priestly organization kind of involved in expensive and costly uh, sacrifices in a place of separateness that not everyone can go to. And so this passage comes in and says, you're that. We're not doing that anymore. And the Old Testament just exempt. Listen how the Old Testament amplifies that gap and, and how staggering it must be that in our Bible... It says there's no more priests, or actually everyone's a priest. There's no more place of worship. There's no more gap that needs to be filled. In the Old Testament, it amplifies all that, right? Because it, it says, look at, look at their system. Look at their ritualistic system, right? They say, um, you, you, don't have to be, you have to be so special. You have to be born in a, in a specific tribe. You have to be from the tribe of Levi, and then that you have to offer these sacrifices and not those. They can't be blemished. They can't be in any way defective. There, have you read Leviticus? It wears you down with the details because it's exacting. It has to be exact, and it is at the most extravagant temple that, that Israel had ever built. They, they've built it several times, and each time it just keeps getting better. And then, and then 1 Peter chapter 2 shows up and says, no, things have changed. Oh, really? They have changed dramatically, radically. This is a radical expression of a religious um, experience. Radically different. And that's why um, some Romans considered the Christians atheists. I mean, sometimes they considered them cannibals because there's a whole different story about communion. But sometimes they were considered atheists. They had no temple. They met in homes. They had no priests. 
right? And there was no sacrificial system. So everything was kind of turned on its head, and everybody had to look at religion completely different because of this passage, because of what Jesus Christ did. Because Jesus Christ comes in, and he says, I'm the ultimate temple. I'm the ultimate priest, and I am the ultimate sacrifice. And so we're done with that. Jesus says, that temple, the tabernacle early and the temple, that was me just casting a shadow. It was pointing towards me all the time. He says, when you tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. He, he, he says, he, he is the sacrifice. You know, all those times where you had to bring an innocent lamb that he might be slaughtered to take away the sins of the world, Jesus says, I am that lamb. I am the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We'll sacrifice this one time. The priest, he's from a whole different kind of priest, not from the tribe of Levi, but one that's so exclusive it doesn't even have a family tree from the, tree, from the tribe of Melchizedek. He's a whole different kind of priest. And that's how Jesus does away with the ritualistic system, the, the way of bridging the gap. He's the ultimate sacrifice in the ultimate temple because he's the ultimate priest. And then, and then listen, this is where everything happens. When you receive Jesus Christ in, in, like into your life, when you accept his forgiveness, it says that you exchange your sin for his righteousness. When you get his righteousness, you get those things. He, <laughs> this is really um, crass. He makes you a little Jesus. We are all little Jesuses because it says in the Bible throughout the Newer Testament, he says, you are the temple now, right? This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews, it says you're living stones contributing towards a a spiritual house. He says, you're the sacrifice. In Romans, it says, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice that would be acceptable and pleasing to him. Your body, you are the sacrifice. And then it says here in 1 Peter chapter 2 that you are a royal priest. You're the priest, you're the temple, you're the sacrifice. Look what it says. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you get to show others the goodness of God. He called you out of the darkness and into the wonderful light. You are a royal priest. You are called out for a purpose. You are to love the gospel, the good news that comes, right? That's what gospel means. You are the the, the means of distributing the good news to the people around you, to the world around you. You are to show that. You are authorized by God, according to this passage. You are authorized by God. You are called by God. You are told by God to speak this. You are the priest. It's it's called sometimes the priesthood of all believers. That's you. Do you see yourself that way? This is how God sees you. Do you see yourself that way? Even to this day, we have denominations where the priests are separate. They they dress separate. They live separate. they, They experience life separate. That's wrong. That is not the way the Bible says it's supposed to be. We are all priests. When I was um, 
still trying to involve myself in the Catholic church that I grew up in and maybe even possibly become a priest. I went out to um, school and grad school uh, seminary, and I was supposed to get a job in a church out there. And so I went to maybe, I don't know, 12 churches out in San Bernardino County. Let me tell you about San Bernardino County. It is the largest county in the United States of America. It has over 20,150 square miles. It is bigger than the nine small states. The nine smallest states, it's bigger than that. They have such a lopsided priest-parishioner ratio, it's like nothing else in the world. And so I was going door-to-door asking if I could serve in any one of those churches as much as 20 hours a week so that I could maybe someday, possibly, I don't know, it was kind of confusing at the time, maybe I could be a priest. Not one person would let me work there. Mostly in part because I wasn't a priest. And so, who suffers? Everyone suffers with those kind of ratios. The clergy are burning out because they can never get anything done, and the lay people can't be trained and experience what God meant them to be trained for. That they, <laughs> the pastors of a church are supposed to be player coaches, and you guys are the players. At Grace Covenant Church, here's what we say a lot here. We should say it more. I'm going to give you a quiz in a couple weeks, okay? I'll say, I'm just a pastor, but you're the ministers. And for you that are new, here's how the saying goes. I'm just a pastor, but you're the ministers. I'm going to try that again, right? I'm just a pastor, but you're the That's right. And so you come here on Sunday, you're saying, I'm looking for a way to be a more effective minister. God brings people in my life, and, I mean, he's doing the hard work that way. And I'm supposed to be being the priest for people in every expression of my life, if I have any kind of influence. Because here's how God sees me, because the Bible says this. Not because I want it. You know, not, I, we can't hope this big, can we? We couldn't hope for this. But this is what the Bible says. You are a royal priest. You are a chosen people, a holy nation. You are God's own possession. There. Well, how do you do that, right? I mean, that's a, that, that's some, there, there's, some, there's some excitement to there, that, that, that truth, and then there's some weight to it. There's some responsibility that seems heavy. How do you live? How do you do ministry? Well, the next two verses help us with that. The next two verses, here's how you're supposed to do ministry, okay? Look at verses 11 and 12. It's kind of two general commands here. We'll cut them up, and then we're going to apply them how we apply them here at Grace Covenant Church, okay? Two commands. The first command is in the first verse. Dear friends, I warn you as, I, I, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. Okay? That's the first thing. That's the first way you do ministry. That's a, that's a great way to be a priest. Two, verse 12, Okay? Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Okay, let me just show you again. The first one is, the first one is I warn you, don't, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your soul. The first thing is, 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 just be okay with being an outsider. Could you just be at peace with being a foreigner? Whenever people in the church, whenever Christians try to be like everyone else, they're just like everyone else. 
So why would anyone want to be like you? You're just like everyone else. And he's saying, just be at peace with being a foreigner. You're, from, you're, you're not from here. Your home country is heaven, where your king rules and will rule the world someday. And so the things of the world that are corrupting your soul, the, all the mores, right? More power or more fame or more comfort or more wealth or more popularity or more youth. All these things are always bombarding you, making you feel like you should be fitting in. And he's saying, just, just give it up. You're a, you're a royal priest. Travel light. You know, just carry a backpack full of stuff. You don't need to be collecting more. Just be okay with it. And then the second thing he says is, is, is live properly among your neighbors. Look at what he says in verse 12. Be careful to live properly amongst your unbelieving neighbors. And when they, you know, even if they're accusing you of doing wrong, you're, you're supposed to have honorable behavior, integrity, the church has always thrived when, as if we can get a collective mass of people, right, over 15% of us maybe, that have, that have consistent attributes of generosity and courage and, and hospitality and integrity and caring for other people, then, then what happens is when, when the church is accused of things, I mean, think about that right now. What does that verse mean where it says, even when they accuse you of doing wrong? The church is always, in our contemporary culture, in the press, we, we are always accused of doing wrong, aren't we? We cannot win. Why do we try? We shouldn't even try, in my opinion, in the, in, 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 in the public press. But what he says is, when they see your kindness and gentleness in your neighborhoods, they won't be able to make sense out of what's happening on their TV set. See, when they're prejudiced and they're making fun of the church, it's easy to do, but he says, but when they see you... In the context of your neighborhood, in the context of your business practice, in the context of your sports and your hobbies and those sorts of things, they kind of go, okay, that guy looks like a, that's what priestly living looks like. And, and, they, and, they, and they lean towards that instead of what they've heard on the local news. You see how that works? You, you don't try to be like everyone else. You're from somewhere else, and you're going somewhere else. And then you live honorably among your unbelieving friends, and they're going to brag about you on the day of judgment. Here's a great way to think about this. Conceptually, conceptually here's how I want you to think about you being a priest. Because, again, there's this weight about how to live and what you're supposed to do and how to do it. Okay? Here's a great passage that we recite around here regularly with this value that every believer is a minister. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2, it's verse 10. Look how loaded it is to help us feel better. For we are God's workmanship. He's working in our lives, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I get that, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God prepared in advance for us to do. That, that word, those words actually mean before the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time, God had prepared good works for you to do as a priest as a minister. He, was, he has negotiated life so that you are playing on the soccer team, baseball team, whatever you're, you're the soccer mom in the stands. He's arranged things so that you live in your neighborhood, that you work where you work, that you befriend with the people you befriend with. The fender mentor that you got into last week was actually maybe a divine appointment. He has arranged before time good works for you to achieve in Jesus Christ. In other words, you're going to do good at this. If you just don't try to be part of this culture, 
and, and present your good works before other people. Okay? This is what you're supposed to do, is look for, have the mindset that God has arranged opportunities for you to do ministry before the beginning of time. Now, how do you do that? I'd like to do, what I'd like to do is get now, we're, getting, we're going from general to very specific today. How do you do that? Is there something I could think about? Is there some way of looking at life so that I might be able to be a more effective minister? Are there fundamentals, like in, in golfing or baseball, any sport, are there fundamentals that I could be an expert in so that I might succeed in life? Right? There's five strokes in tennis. If you master those, you'll be in Wimbledon. Okay. Is there something like that in ministry? There are. Three things. It's a cute little rhyme, but it's not about a rhyme. It's about a way of seeing all of life. If you can live these three things, you can have great success in ministry. Okay? Here are the three things. Prayer, care, share. Let's all say those together, can we? Prayer, care, Sure. This is kind of your style of ministry. And I want you to know this is, again, this is, I know it's a cute little rhyme. I get it, okay? But it's, I'm, it's, it's supposed to be memorable. And, and hopefully maybe you're, you're wondering, how do I do this ministry thing? This model, this, this, this style of ministry, this forehand grip, right, is prayer, care, share. That's the way a lot of Jesus' ministry is being done. He wakes up in the morning, he starts, his, if you look at his life story in the four Gospels, he starts with prayer. He's always off praying places. And then he's looking at opportunities to care for people, right? We know those stories. And then he cannot wait to tell people about the kingdom of God. So this isn't just random. It, I mean, it's a way of living life. It's a way of looking at your neighborhood, your workplace, your, your hobbies, and your kids' hobbies, and saying, wait a minute. God has arranged good works for me to do before the beginning of time, maybe I should be looking at these people and pray for them. What is prayer? What is that about? How do we pray? Praying, first of all, means ministry is a spiritual event. We, got, we need to get God in this thing, <laughs> okay? So people that pray regularly realize that, that God is still doing things. People that don't pray regularly think they, they're all on their own. That's how you tell people the way they think, by how much they pray. So this, this ministry style says God needs to do all the heavy lifting. We'd better start with prayer. Well, how do you pray for people that God has brought into your life? How do you pray for people that God has brought into your life? I'm going to, it's summertime, which is super practical. Here's how I think it would be helpful to pray. Remember we talked earlier, if you were here this summer, that we talked when people are independent of God, they kind of go to two extremes. They start acting like a God or they start acting like a beast. Well, that's how you, you pray away from those two things. So if you have a friend or a relative or a neighbor or something like that, and they're trying to be like a God, then you pray you know, against that. You say, you pray to God, dear God, help, help them see how, how worried they are all the time and controlling and smothering they are to their children and the people around them. And, and, and see, see that all this, this anger is because they're trying to do things that they're, that's out of their box. Lord, help them get to a place of breakdown so that they can have a breakthrough. You could, you could pray when you're trying to be a God, you find yourself usually being alone a lot because you're the only one that's right all the time. And you could pray maybe that they get lonely. Sometimes when you think you're a God, you, you forget about your mortality. And so you could pray for them, Lord, I'd ask that they would have some kind of experience that they'd start to realize that they'll be seeing you soon <laughs> and maybe sooner than they think. 
Anyway, that's, that's how, that's been, I just want to give you some maybe helpful ways to pray for people in your life, even the people in the church here, right? Okay, even people in our church that are trying to manage all of life, not being leaders or not being ambitious, that's over here, but controlling. And you know that because they're angry and they're worried. So you pray against that so, God could inv- so you could be a minister to invade their life. Okay, that's the people that want to be like a god. What about the people who want to be like a beast? Those people you pray, dear God, I know this world has everything we want but nothing that we need. I'd ask, Lord, that you would give them just a, they'd become tired and bored and restless with all the chasing the wind in their life, that they would have a moment of quiet. A lot of that is to stay distracted. If they could have just a moment of quiet so that they could desire more in life. That's how I pray for people that are just, you know, just expressions of, of just a college frat boy, whatever that looks like. I pray that people would have silence in their life. The cheapest way to do ministry, simplest, cheapest way to do ministry for people that you are assigned by God's sovereign work is you just ask them, can I pray for you? Is there something that I could pray for you? I, and, and people will get absolutely blown over sometimes if you just say, you know, I, th- I pray about, pray, 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 I'm sorry, let me start up. I pray for you somewhat regularly, you know, a couple times a week. And I was, I don't know, I'm feeling like if I knew more about how to pray for you, I would be more intelligent when I talk to God about you. People, people just, I've seen people cry, perfect strangers tear up in the instant they find out that you're talking to God about their souls. They like, most people like that. There's seven people in Austin that don't, and you, you find them, and you come back, and we'll put a list up on the screen. We'll leave those seven people alone, all right? Okay, that sounds, that sounds fair. Keep us away from those seven people. Here's the thing with prayer. Prayer says, God, we got to get you into this fight. But Jesus prayed for the Father, you know, to the Father all the time about what he was supposed to do in ministry. If he did, we should. We've got to get you into this. We need to let you do the heavy lifting. You know, we, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. I think God can lead a horse to water, and maybe even God can make him drink it. So we need to get God in this. Okay, how do we care for people? Well, look, I think I don't, that, it all goes without saying, I think, how to care for people, how do we care. But I want, I want you to hear a couple things that are from the Bible. C- caring for other human beings is a means and an end. Okay? A lot of times people just, it's always, an, it's always a means to something, but it's, but it's an end as well. Okay, it's, it's, it's good to be good. It is good within itself to be good. In Hebrews 11, it says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. It's good to be good to other human beings. And so that's that. And then it's also a means. It's good to be good to other people so that you might win an audience with their soul. It does soften a soul. It can be a tenderizer for people. And so, you know, just as a priest... As a priest, share. You know, just be, be generous. Be extravagant in your caring for other people, whatever it might be, you know, providing meals for them or helping them change a tire or whatever it might be. But, but be extravagant in that. 
be loving and careful in that. How do you share? Let me, again, it's just, it's a summer series, so just let me tell you quickly how to share. A real quick way to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Every other major religion in the world, okay, outside of Christianity, is spelled with two words, D-O, do. You've got to do, do, do. There's this gap, and everybody knows there's a gap, and everybody's trying to figure out how many good things they need to do to bridge that gap. Every major religion in the world says you've got to do. And here's the, here's the problem with that. You never know if you did enough. Not until you see God face to face. It's like being in a sales thing where you have to hit a quota and, the, and your boss never tells you what your quota is. Right? I mean, who can live with that? And what kind of God runs the, runs the universe that way? That he would never tell you what you need to do. And the Bible does say you have to be perfect. So he does say what the quota is, but you'll never make it. Christianity stands all by itself and says, done. D-O-N-E. It is spelled differently. It is a different way of looking at life. It is saying, Jesus paid the price. Here's a great way to summarize your ministry on how to share. Prayer, care, share. Here's a great way to summarize it. Jesus paid for your sins. That's called Good Good Friday. His death was payment of the debt you owed God. Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, it's called Resurrection Sunday. That just proved the check cleared. That was proof positive that God said, yeah, we're, we're good. And, and Christianity is just saying, I'm putting my faith in that. Let me review for you very quickly, okay? Let me, sit, let me talk about what, how does God see you? He sees you as a royal priest, a chosen and holy nation, a, a, a group, I mean, just somebody that's his own, very own, God's very own possessions, and you are the minister. You are a priest. How do you do that? You don't get entangled in all the squirrely stuff in this world that just wrecks your soul to be ambitious that way, but rather let your good works be displayed in front of the people that God brings to your life. How do you do that ministry? You do this with prayer and caring and sharing. It's not hard. You know why it's not that hard? Because God has arranged before eternity good works for you to do in Jesus Christ. One of our younger ministers here at Grace Covenant Church, because every believer is a minister, one of our younger ministers here at Grace Covenant Church, seven years old, two, not this last Halloween, but the one before that, he was, he was with you know, his band of brothers, you know, going door to door, getting free candy. That's what Halloween is. Wow. And so let's call him the guy that goes to our church, the little boy that goes to our church. Let's call him Bobby. Okay. Bobby and his five friends are like pirates on a pillage, just going as fast as they can, door to door. They have their chaperone with them. Come on, Mom, keep up. So they're going, they're doing what you remember the day, right, last year for some of you. Um, and, and then they, they come up to this kind of a creepy house with not a lot of lights on. It was kind of scary, you know, one of those families that does that. And, 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 and Bobby's friend says, I don't want to go up there. That's, I'm, that's, that house scares me. And so the other, the other three boys start making fun of the boy for being afraid, and, but the clock is ticking, and they say, look, we're going up there. And then Bobby says to his scared friend, I'll stay here with you on the curb. You don't have to stay here alone. And, and the scared boy's mom was the chaperone, and she watched the whole thing play out right in front of her. And she started to kind of cry that some boy would care more about her son than more candy. And when the moms came and picked up their little boys, she went to Bobby's mom and said, 
what is so special about you guys? Do you go to church? And she said, we do go to church. We go to Grace, where every believer is a minister. If a seven, eight-year-old boy can do this, with his eyes wide open, understanding the responsibility that he gets to have as a royal priest, then, friends, we can too. Let's open our eyes. Let's see what God has provided for us. Easy wins, good works in Jesus Christ arranged before the beginning of time that we could be priests, royal priests, a holy nation, God's own possessions. At Grace Covenant Church, every believer is a minister. Be the church. You are the church. Go be the church. Lord Jesus, I pray that the depth of understanding of what all this means, maybe in the history of civilization, would weigh heavy on us that we might see this great privilege, 10,000, maybe a million years of human experience, and we live in an era where every one of us that has your righteousness is a, a, a priest and a temple and a sacrifice. Lord, let us see that. Let us see the joy of ministry that's before us, and let us live with those expectations. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.